You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Plains Church in Castleton, North Dakota. This teaching is meant to encourage you in your faith, but not replace the preaching and accountability that should only come from your own local church. That said, we hope this sermon helps you know God more by simply listening to what he has to say in his word. Well, before we read our text today, one thing I want you to do is simply marvel over God's kindness. He always knows what we need to hear, and he always knows when we need to hear it. So there have been times when people ask how I decide what I'm going to preach on a Sunday morning, and it's not a very complicated process. I open up to a book of the Bible. I try to break the book down into what seems like logical sections, uh, sections that could be uh, easily preached on their own. And there are certainly times when I'll pivot from what the preaching calendar has on it, but that would be extremely rare. And uh, I just want you to know that uh, this morning, uh, the same is true. I haven't turned away. I mean, we've been on a trajectory to be in this text uh, for months, and, uh, and it's just so perfect that we're here. Now, if you're new here or you're not a, a member, then there's no way you would know the timing of our text, so allow me to fill you in. Sadly, it was about a year ago that we had a family who experienced an incredible loss, and that was hard for our church, of course, first of all, because we love the family uh, that experienced the loss, but also secondly, because the loss happened to be a baby girl who was only a matter of days from being born. Her name is Esther. And maybe you've noticed, but there's, there's a lot of babies in this church. There's a lot of children. So when something like that happens, the community really feels it. People uh, are certainly moved with great sympathy because they can relate to what that would be like. Well, sadly, uh, just two days ago, we had a second memorial service, and sadly, it was another baby girl. Her name is Jovi. So that's two funerals in one year for our church, our young church. Those are the only funerals that we have had up to this point. And certainly, there are no words that can possibly take away the loss or pain uh, that those families experience and yet there are particular passages that tend to be a special comfort when you are grieving the loss of a child. And we are in one of those passages this morning. And so if you are someone who has lost a child, I certainly hope today's passage will be of a special blessing to you. And even if you haven't lost a child, I pray that this passage will be a special blessing to you because you will treasure every child that you see Every child that you are near, whether it's yours or someone else's, because children are indeed a blessing to the Lord. So if you would, please open your Bibles with me to Matthew 19, where we are going to look at verses 13 through 15. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. And I just want you to appreciate, uh, you know, just how much God loves the family I mean, last week, we were focused on marriage, 
We talked about the importance of staying faithful to your spouse. Now this week, we see the fruit of marriage, children, and we learn about our responsibility to care and treasure and value children and how to treat them. So God loves the family, and we get to see more of it this morning. So Matthew 19, if you would, follow along with me as I read for us, beginning in verse 13. Matthew writes, Then children were brought to him, being Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now, there's only three verses here, so I can only assume some of you are thinking, well, today's going to be a really short sermon. (laughs) Well, it'll probably be shorter, but I don't want you to overlook how much we have to learn from this text. It is simple but profound, and there is much for us to glean, and uh, I hope to help you understand all that there's here Uh, But to aid us in appreciating this text, here's how we're going to approach things. First, I just want to walk through the story a little bit more slowly, breaking it down a bit, and then we'll spend the remainder of our time thinking about applications. So first, we're just going to make some observations. And uh, as we move through this text, here's what I want you to to notice. Uh, There really are three movements to it that reveal Jesus' love for children. So let's walk through those one by one. The first movement of this text comes in verse 13. This is where we see a people's initiative to bless children. We see a people's initiative to bless children. Now the text doesn't say who's bringing the children to Jesus. It's not specific. It's an undefined group. But I think it's safe to say that these are probably parents. And for one, I, we could probably assume that because, I mean, it would just be a bit odd, right, if people were just grabbing random children and taking them to Jesus. Today, that would be illegal, actually. <laughs> It'd be a form of kidnapping. But perhaps the crowd is so big that as parents come to see Jesus and take their children to Jesus, they notice that there are others who are closer to Jesus, and maybe they don't have immediate and direct access to them. So maybe they're handing their kids over others, hoping they will take the child to Jesus. In any case, no matter who's bringing the children, here's what I want us to appreciate about the initiative of these people First, I want, us to initiate, uh, I want us to appreciate how they have the right effort. How they have the right effort. I mean, these people are seeking to do something for these children that the children themselves would not be asking them to do. And with that, there certainly would have been inconveniences. Remember again, we're talking about Jesus who is regularly surrounded by a crowd of people. And perhaps you understand challenges that would exist in this situation because you've taken your child to, uh, or a child to a circus or a concert or a basketball game. And there's just a, a few different challenges in such a setting. First, you have the noise. Then you have things you don't want your kid to be touching 
Then you have people who are just pushing in against each other. And if you turn away for just a second, what happens? They're gone. And so you're just worried about that the whole time as you walk through the crowd. It's possible the parents would have experienced something like this. People all over the place. And they may have even gone out that day wondering if they'd even be able to, to get to Jesus. Again, everybody else wants to be close to Jesus. So they have to per, perhaps figure out a strategy. How are we going to get close? How are we actually going to get our child to Jesus? So in this moment, I'm sure, there are moments of inconvenience, uh, moments of discomfort. Uh, we have a situation that's fraught with some challenges, some unknowns, but here these people are anyways. So they have the right effort but secondly, we also have to appreciate how they have the right hope. They want these children to be blessed, right? And isn't this ultimately what every parent so desires for their child? I mean, if you ask any parent what they want for their kids, what are they going to say? They may not use the word blessed. They may not say, oh, I, I want my children to have a blessed life. But they'll use other words that essentially touch on the same reality. Oh, I, I just want my child to be happy. And every parent, of course, hopes that one day their child will grow up, they'll find a fulfilling job, they'll marry a faithful spouse, they'll be in a very content family, have lots of kids, a job that would be able to provide for those kids. These people would have been no different. They want the absolute best that life has to offer for their children, the ultimate. So they have the right effort, they have the right hope, but lastly, we also need to especially notice this. What other way do they have it right here? Lastly, they go to the right place, don't they? Jesus. And I want you to think about this because the fact is that it was very common for someone to take their child to a rabbi so that he would pray a blessing over them. In fact, this would usually happen on a child's first birthday. So today, we give our children chocolate cake and let them stuff their faces. For them, it was a time to visit the rabbi. But here's the deal. On this day, they're not just going to any rabbi, are they? No, but they are going to a divine rabbi. So little do they know that the one who prays to the Lord is the Lord. And the one who they ask for God's blessing happens to be God himself. It's a profound situation. And so they bring their little ones to Jesus, and he lays his hands on them and prays for them. Now, the modern reader might think, why in the world is somebody else touching my child? But you need to understand that this was a standard practice, that the laying on of hands had a rich history in the Bible. And actually, the first time we see it is in Genesis 48, when Israel, who was formerly called Jacob, has his two grandchildren brought to him before his death, Ephraim and Manasseh. So Joseph brings Ephraim and Manasseh to Jacob, and then we are told that Jacob stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and then he stretched out his left hand and put it on the head of Manasseh, and then he prayed 
a prayer of blessing over those kids and blessed his son Joseph. So that's the first time we see the laying on of hands, but, but there are other occasions and people would sometimes lay their hands on a sacrifice when it was given. When elders were installed into positions of leadership, they also had hands laid on them. And this was just a way for someone to physically show their support and solidarity with someone or something. And we see this practice continue also in the New Testament. We see that the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is imparted through the laying on of hands. Elders also installed into positions of leadership. But Jesus, he is regularly touching people with his hands. When he heals, this is how he heals. So, first we see the people's initiative to bless children. Now I want us to notice this. Secondly, the disciples' interference of the children's blessing. The disciples' interference of the children's blessing. Notice what they do in verse 13. We are told that the disciples rebuked the people. They rebuked the people. Now, I probably don't need to tell you this, but the word rebuke does not imply anything gentle or soft. <laughs> we are talking about sharp disapproval, a firm word of correction by the disciples to the parents. And so I think we could just kind of imagine the disciples saying something like this, what are you doing? Uh, don't you realize that, that Jesus is far too busy to see your child? I'm sorry, but we cannot take your child to him. He has far too many things to do, far too many people to see, far too many places to be. In fact, we are on our way to Jerusalem, so we've got a schedule to keep here. There's an agenda. And to be honest, how many of you have maybe thought the same thing at one point or another? There's a child wanting to spend time with you. Maybe they're even tugging at your leg. Daddy, mommy, can we spend time together? And you're, you're saying, well, just in a little bit, dear. I'm sorry, sweetheart. We just, there's too many things to get done today. It happens quite a bit with kids, doesn't it? They get pushed oftentimes to the back burner. And sadly, in some instances, they stay there because there's just too many important things to do. And that would especially have been true in Jesus' day because it was a day and time when children were to be seen but not heard. Today, we can mention how children have rights. There was no concept of children's rights in Jesus' day. Children just had potential and that's not to say they weren't loved. They were. People valued children as a gift from the Lord. They understood that children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, as Psalm 127 says. But the fact is that still, until one became an adult, they really didn't have much value in society except perhaps to help out for chores around the house or in the field. And clearly, the disciples, being men of their age, carry this same perspective in this moment, don't they? I'm sorry, people. Jesus just doesn't have time for your dirty kid and their runny nose. So we see the disciples' interference of the children's blessing. 
Third, we then see the Savior's insistence on blessing children. Verse 14, but Jesus says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. Stop disturbing them, Jesus says. Stop preventing them from coming to me. Stop what you're doing. Do you have any idea how precious and valued these children are to me? His statement here is emphatic. It's absolutely emphatic. He says both positively, permit or let the children come to me, and negatively, do not forbid them to come. Jesus could hardly be more firm in his resolve to welcome children into his presence and bless them. And if you think this was in any way a dispassionate word, you'd be wrong. Mark really helps us out here. Mark sheds a little bit more light on the situation. In Mark 10, verse 14, Mark says, But when Jesus saw what was happening, he was indignant. He was indignant. Jesus was actually upset and angry with the disciples. Now maybe just put that thought in your mind. You mean God can be pleased with me and unpleased at the same time? He can love me and be angry with me and my decisions at the same time? Yes, absolutely. We're forgiven in Christ, all sins past, present, and future God loves us as his children, but we can still do some things that even in a matter of sincerity are still wrong. And as such, God in his love disciplines us because he loves us. And so here's what we have with these disciples. We have a chance for Jesus to exhibit his patient, his forbearing love. And just picture the moment. I mean, you have a long line of people, I imagine. You certainly have every aged kid imaginable. Babies, toddlers, five-year-olds, ten-year-olds, possibly even some as old as 11 or 12. The word in the Greek, paidos, is a general term for children. It's actually uh, the Greek word from which we get our vocation, pediatrician today. The word describes someone as young as an infant or as old as a preteen. Interestingly, though, Luke, again, shedding some light on this text, says uh, this. He says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And there, the word for infant is brephos. It was indeed a baby. And it's almost as if to say, truly, there was no child too young for Jesus to see, to hold, to pray for, to bless. He loved each and every one of them. He cared not how dependent or independent they were. He cared not the level of their function or the form of their body. He loved each and every one of them. And the disciples, again, are no doubt sincere by their intentions, but their actions are wrong. And so they still, think about this, they still don't comprehend Jesus. And it's quite baffling because they have seen what you would think like is everything with Jesus. They have seen him care for just about every person 
imaginable, right? They have seen him care for lepers and women and Gentiles and Jews and centurions and servants and you name it. Put it all together then, and this is what you discover, that Jesus really does love everyone, regardless of their gender, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their social status, regardless of their physical and spiritual condition. But here we add something else to our understanding of Jesus and that he also loves someone no matter their stage of development. And what is the reason that Jesus loves children? Why does he say, let them come? Let them be brought to me. Do not hinder them. Look at verse 15. We read, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. For to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, I need to mention some things about this verse for a moment. Keep in mind what Jesus is not saying. He, he is not saying that these children possess eternal life and are a part of his covenant community without any distinction. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, that's an odd distinction to make, Pastor. Why would you mention that? But here's why. Because shockingly, these verses are actually a significant proof text that some people use to say, hey, well, this is why you should baptize baby, because they're, they're part of God's covenant community. In fact, one person even said of this passage that it almost settles it single-handedly. And the argument goes something like this. The fact that Jesus not only received the children of believers, but actually said that the kingdom of God belongs to them is clear evidence that he regarded them to be members of God's covenant community. In fact, in the words of famous Presbyterian scholar John Murray, he says this, if little children belong to the kingdom of God, if they belong to Christ, if they are to be received into the fellowship of believers, if they are to be reckoned as possessing the qualities and rights that constitute them members of the kingdom of God and of the church, is there any reason why they should not receive the sign of that membership? And the answer I would have to Mr. Murray's question is yes, actually. And I can think of two reasons not to baptize children, just as we think about this text. Two reasons. First, we don't even know if these children are genuine believers. We really don't. Now listen, I genuinely understand the Bible to teach that for any child that dies in infancy, that God certainly welcomes that child into heaven. And I won't get into my discussion on that. But, but listen, you have children of all sorts of ages. I think that there is this idea of an age of accountability, but we don't know when that happens, and we don't know the spiritual condition of these children. And frankly, we don't even know the spiritual condition of those that are bringing the children. We don't. What do they understand of Jesus? They understand he's a gifted rabbi. They understand that he's been sent from God. But do they fully comprehend who he is, that he is the Messiah? Some of them do, no doubt. Some of them wouldn't have. So that's the first reason I wouldn't use this passage to support baptizing babies. But secondly, also notice this. Jesus does not say that the kingdom of God belongs to these 
but rather that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It's a small distinction, but a very important distinction. So the kingdom doesn't belong to these children themselves, but rather to any person who receives the kingdom like a child. And friends, the reason we can be so certain of what Jesus is talking about is I would take your attention back to Matthew chapter 18, because what do we see in verse 3? Jesus, in this moment, he had a child that he had taken, and he put the child in the midst of the disciples, and then he uses the child as an object lesson to them, and then he says this, he says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is just re-articulating a point that he made earlier, and what is it? That friends, for any of us to be recipients of eternal life, for any of us to receive the forgiveness of sins and the joy of a relationship with God, then this is what's required, that we become like children. And children, as you know, are wonderful examples of humility, dependence, and trust. Even just this morning, I'm holding my daughter, Isla, and she's just clenching her arms around my neck and I'm just enjoying that moment and I know after the service that eventually I'll be in the middle of a conversation and uh, and one of my children will come just wrap their arms around my leg right and for that moment they'll take that even if I can't give them the full embrace right they're like they, they just love dad that much that we'll just take part of him and you just love children and how you get to enjoy this when they're little, right? It doesn't last forever. Talk to anybody who is now an empty nester. It doesn't last long. But you come in to your house at the end of a long day, and what do the kids run? I mean, they just, they just run right at you to tackle you to the floor. Friends, for any of us to receive eternal life, this is required of us that we forget about ourselves and that we become fully dependent upon Jesus Christ. We see him as everything to us. We surrender all. We commit ourselves to him. That's what God is calling us to. So that's the explanation that's Jesus' heart for children. Now let's do some application. The question we should always come to when we study God's word is this. How should this text change our lives? How should this text change our lives? And let me give you at least two points here. With the first thing being this. First, Jesus loves children and so should we. Jesus loves children, and so should we. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. How many of you are familiar with those lyrics? Such a popular song taught to us at uh, such a young age. Now, maybe you think that that song is a bit annoying because it gets kind of, it's one of those songs that gets stuck in your head and then you can't get it out, right? But 
The truth articulated in that song is wonderful, and it is seen in today's text. And with that, friends, here's what I would say as a church. We also need to see children as precious. We also need to love children. In fact, of all people, we as a church need to be the ones that are championing that message. Because here's what we see going on in the world around us. We live in a culture of death. We live in a culture that cares very little for children unless they just want to steal someone's mind, steal their innocence. We live in a place where children are viewed as burdens, perhaps even thieves, thieves of time, thieves of money, thieves of hopes. They're seen as obstacles. I mean, what, what if we have a child at such a young age, then all of a sudden, what about my career? What about my success? What about my quality of life? But is that how God views children? As a burden? As obstacles? Never. Never at any moment. In fact, quite the opposite, right? From the moment they are in the womb, they are a blessing. God fashions and knits together every single soul. He values them even when they are 100% dependent on someone else. So bizarre you hear the arguments for abortion today and, well, that's not, it's not really an individual until they can take care of themselves. Really? At what age can a child take care of themselves? Because uh, I don't know if any of my children except for maybe Sierra and Caden could take care of themselves. Okay, Prairie, maybe two. <laughs> they're valued because they're made in the image of God. They're valued because God knits them together. It has nothing to do with dependence or independence. Also has uh, nothing to do with location, whether it be in the womb or outside of the womb. All children are precious in the Lord's sight. And for this reason, friends, I so hope that you give yourself to defending, to protecting innocent human beings and that you herald the value of every single life all the more. Second application is this, and this is a longer application. Secondly, the greatest way that we love our children, never forget it, is when we do what? When we bring them to Jesus. The greatest way that you can possibly love any child is that you bring them to Jesus. So just think about these parents again, right? So they wanted their child to have a blessed life, and where do they go? Again, directly to Jesus. And friends, let me tell you something. That still needs to be our number one priority to this day. There are so many things out there in the world I know that are interesting we would even call them good for your children to be involved with there are endless clubs endless sports groups and i'm not saying that you don't 
put your kids in some of these things. But friends, if at the end of the day our kids are so busy that they have no time to learn about Jesus and take in Jesus, we are doing them a great disservice. And as I say this, know what I'm not saying again. I'm not saying bring them to church. I'm saying bring them to Jesus. You go, well, what's wrong with church? Well, nothing. I mean, come on. And I, of all people, believe in the importance of gathering with the saints. But friends, I have met many church kids that couldn't articulate the gospel at all. I have spent years in youth ministry. And you know what I find? So many parents trust in the church and its programs rather than doing the work of bringing their own children to Jesus themselves. And we cannot, we cannot expect that someone else is responsible for raising our children in the faith. You need to be having conversations with your kids at home regularly, in every setting. So many opportunities we have that we just overlook. We live in North Dakota. How many hours do we spend in the vehicle every single week? So many opportunities to talk about Jesus in the car, especially if you live in Valley City and you come to our church. So many opportunities around the home. We just overlook them because we're not looking for them. We're not intentional. We need to have these conversations, conversations about the gospel. Friends, what do you know of your child's understanding of who God is? Of what sin is? Of who Jesus is? Of what faith is? Those are the kind of conversations you need to be having. And the window of opportunity that you get is so short. I'll never forget when I had someone tell me, enjoy your kids while you can because you know what? You're going to know them for far more years as adults than you ever did as kids. And that has certainly stuck with me. And, and friends, when we do this, we are actually falling in line with a great biblical tradition, right? You look in the Old Testament and and it was just understood. You care for your kids by raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Learning about the Lord was a way of life. It wasn't an event. It wasn't an activity. It wasn't a program. It was just a lifestyle. And we see that especially as we look at Deuteronomy. In fact, turn over there, please, in your Bibles. Go over to Deuteronomy, and let's read this together. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is called the Shema. It was the closest thing to a creed that Israel had. Everybody knew it, understood it, recited it. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And this is what I 
especially want you to notice, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and they shall talk of them when? Shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. I mean, this is the word of God permeating everything, everywhere. From the moment you arise to the moment you go to sleep, that's the totality of your whole day talking about the Lord. You do it when you go out on the streets, when you're going shopping, when you are out in the marketplace. When you leave the house, when you come in the house, constantly saturating the family with the Word of God. And for this reason, let me just ask you a question. Do you have times of family worship? You say, well, what's that? I've never heard about that. Is that like a church service in your home? Well, no, not necessarily. Listen, these times of saturating your family with the Word of God it can look differently for every single family. Maybe it's that you spend quality time talking about the Lord three times a week that you have set aside. Maybe it's in the evening, after dinner, before bed. Maybe you do it every single day because your schedule allows that to happen. It's also going to change, obviously, as your kids age as well. Little minds are only attentive for so long. And let me tell you, yes, there are moments of frustration. It's difficult. It's hard work. I can't tell you how many times we've left times of family worship and I'm going, I don't know that anything profitable ever happened. Maybe even a real moment of honesty here. Times where I'm going, I think maybe they think less of Jesus than they did before we met. Or certainly less of their father. It's hard. But yet, we seek these things because this is the pattern this is the expectation this is the command and ideally and i'm going to speak to you men right now ideally men you will lead these times men you are called to be the spiritual leaders in your homes now listen i trust that many of you your wife is perhaps a godlier person. She might very well know more of the Bible than you, but you are still called to lead your family towards Jesus. Everybody starts somewhere. You are called to grow and to keep on growing. So what if your kid one day becomes a professional athlete? So what if they become the CEO of some Fortune 500 company? Do they know Jesus? If not, everything else is a waste. It doesn't matter. It's all vanity. In fact, earlier this week, I was reading a quote by John Bunyan where he spoke specifically about the father's need to be attentive to the evangelizing and discipling of his children. Listen to this. 
John Bunyan says, quote, First, concerning the spiritual state of his family, he ought to be very diligent and cautious, doing his utmost both to increase faith where it is begun and to begin it where it is not. Therefore, he must diligently and frequently bring before his family the things of God from his holy word in accordance with what is suitable for each person. And here's, I love this, how he ends this. And let no man question his authority from the word of God for such a practice. He's saying family worship is so important. Don't question how much of a priority that it ought to be. Another place I want us to just appreciate this pattern. Psalm 78, turn over there. Psalm 78, let's uh, read verses 1 through 8. Asaph writes, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Fathers, again, your lead, you're to teach the word of God to your children. That the children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. I probably don't need to tell you this, but someone's raising your kids. Someone's shaping how they think. And if you're not going to do it, the culture gladly will. So what's it going to be? I so hope that you love your children enough to bring them to Jesus. Finally, application for our church I want us to think about. So maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you're thinking, I showed up on the wrong Sunday. But friends, let me just remind you, if you have kids or not, these things are still true of you, that you are to love children. Maybe you don't necessarily like being around all children, and that's okay, right? Some people have a greater appreciation for kids than others, but you are still called to appreciate that they are a gift from the Lord. And there are so many ways that the church can come around families and encourage them. It so blesses my heart when people come into my home and when they sit down with my kids and it's something as simple as reading them a story. You will have no idea how much that means to parents when you take time for their kids. When I was in youth ministry, I remember a guy being on furlough. He had come back from Turkey with his family. They were back for several months. 
and they just randomly showed up at the office one day only because there was a music lesson at the music studio next door and I just remember looking at his kid and, and thinking, man, this has got to be a hard life. Being a pastor's kid is hard. Being a missionary's kid, I can only imagine it's got to be harder. And just looking at his kid and going, how are you doing with this? This time away from Turkey and being... And I'll never forget the look on that father's face. And when his kid went next door, he said, thank you so much for loving my kid like that. I wasn't even... Th- I mean... I was in youth ministry. It's just like what you do, right? But to see how much it meant to that parent, and now I, as a parent, feel the exact same way. And I know the parents in our church feel the exact same way. You don't have to serve in children's ministry to be a blessing to children. And let me just say that one of the ways that we want to be a blessing to children, one of the ways that we want to lead children to church is by making them know at every point in their life that they are welcome to worship the Lord. They are invited to worship the Lord. Now, if you know anything about our church, you know we don't, we don't have much of a children's ministry in the modern contemporary understanding of that, right? We've got a nursery it was, you know, several months ago, our children's ministry on Sunday morning, we served up uh, to third grade. Now we have so many kids and babies, we just don't have the people available to serve that many kids. But there's never a vision here for us to, to, to go and have, you know, while the Sunday morning service is going on, ship the kids out of the service. We don't want that. And in fact, I would say that that is one way we hinder kids from coming to Jesus one of the big you know, things that I'm sure you know is that there's a large percentage of kids that when they graduate and they move on to college, it's shortly thereafter they disappear and they're no longer found to be in the church. And so you've got all sorts of people like Barna Group and Lifeway and other organizations that go like, what? what's behind that? What's causing that? It's no secret when you read scripture, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have gone out from us. They left the church because they never knew Jesus, who is the head of the church. Friends, I hope that doesn't happen in your family. And we as a church certainly don't want that to happen. And so we want to shape every child's mind and help them understand the beauty of worshiping the Lord and what true spiritual, mature worship looks like. What your kids experience on Sunday morning matters. Again, another kind of reason that kids depart from the church is because all of a sudden they show up to adult church and they go, well, this is boring. And they were so used to just having everything catered to them. It all had to be about bright lights and a fog machine and an energetic pastor and it had to have all these things the trinkets and the toys and otherwise it's not church no friends we need to anchor our children in the word of god that is where true spiritual worship is birthed from friends god loves children And I sure hope we do too. May we not hinder any child from coming to Jesus 
And may we, with the same eagerness of those parents in Jesus' day, may we quickly take our children to Jesus day after day after day. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this sermon encourages you as you go about your week. If you're in Castleton or even the Fargo-Moorhead area, come check us out. Our website is harvestplainschurch.org. That's harvestplainschurch.org. Thanks again, and we hope you'll tune in next week.